I got a good word for you guys this morning. We're actually starting a new series. And um, the series, we never really pre-hyped it or whatever. Sometimes we're a little bit late on that thing. It doesn't really matter. It's God's word. It always speaks. It's always powerful. Amen? Um, whether we hype it up or not, God delivers. And, and I know that that's to be the case on this one. We're starting a series, if you look at your notes, on the Ten Commandments. Woo! Right. You're not super excited. You're just loud kids. And I get that. But um, a lot of the other services, it was like the same, like three people are like, yay, and everyone else like, you know? Here's a reason why. I believe the Ten Commandments sometimes get a bad rap, because a lot of us really think this way, and I, and I sometimes find myself in that too. Ten Commandments, Old Testament, old rules and ancient restrictions and things that are like way back then. I got Jesus now. He came and he fulfilled the law and he did all that. And now I trust him that, oh, that's outdated stuff that's just like hard to hear and hard to listen to. And it's restrictive in my life. I know that that's what a lot of people really look at the Ten Commandments like. But here's the deal. If God puts in his Bible, all of these books and all these different stories and, and testimonies from people all throughout history that have the same reoccurring theme about sin and about our need for God. And then it goes down through the Bible's not just one book. It's, it's a compilation of all these people who've experienced God. But in that collection, if there's something that God says is his top 10 list, don't you think we better pay attention to that? And don't you think we better probably not just be quick to write it off like it's some old, ancient, outdated kind of stuff, but we better say, if God says it's a big deal, maybe we better look at it. And I want to take a look at the 10 commandments in this series, and I want to give you a new love for them. I want to show you that it's not old and it's not, oh, it doesn't apply to us anymore. What I want you to see is that even when Jesus came along, the new covenant, the new contract between God and man through relationship with him, that he actually re-preached the Ten Commandments in a lot of his teachings. And he said that they're valuable as they were back then, as much as they are for us today in today's day and age. So we're going to be in the book of Exodus today. But before we get started, I want to ask you guys a question. I want to ask you guys a question of... What is some of the best practical advice you have ever received? If you can think right now, all the people that spoke in your life, teachers and whatever, think of some words of advice that have benefited you either in your career, in building you up your character, in relationships that you've had. What is a good piece of advice that you've heard from someone in your life? And I want you to share it with me by raising hands. And we got guys running the microphones. Big Sean over here, he's running the mic over here to you. And it's Barb. Why don't you share with us some advice that you heard? To love him? To love whoever it is, if they're making you mad or whatever choices they made. Oh, to just love? Just to love them no matter what Love conquers done. all. Yep. That's a good one. That's so, good, right? Good advice. No judging. Thank you. Someone else. Who's got a mic? We got, they got to see a hand right here. Whoever we'll gets to him first. We're making everybody run. Um, when you first marry somebody, you have to figure out your differences, and it's sometimes a little difficult, even though you really love that person. Yep. And my mother-in-law told me to fight for your marriage because nobody else will. Ooh, that's good. That's strong, right? We could all use a little bit of that. Takes a little compromise, and you got to fight for it. That's good words. And then we got one right here. I got two. Oh, you got two. Let's hear them. <laughs> my grandma and my mom's always said, pick your battles. And kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. That's two, but they go hand in hand. Two for one, overachiever. She's in the front row. I like that. That's good. <laughs> Somebody else. Uh, come on. Bunch, Practical advice that you received. Where is it? Right here. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Punch fear and doubt in the face. Punch fear and doubt in the face. 
That is good. That's strong words. Come on, those are good. It's, yeah. it's good. Chuck Norris in the face. That's good. Who else? Tim, you got someone? No? Come on, guys. I know you got something to say. Like I said, you're the talkative service. Here, Tim's going to go. Proper, um, proper planning prevents poor performance. One more time. Proper, proper planning, planning prevents poor performance. Proper planning prevents poor performance. Five piece. Proper planning prevents poor performance. That's good. That's hard to say, but very good to live by. Over here. Don't try to change the other person. Be who God wants you to be. Don't try to change the other person. Be who God wants you to be. That's good. That's words to live by right there. One more. Right here, front row again. No one can make you feel intimidated unless you allow them to. No one can make you feel intimidated unless you allow them to. That's solid. That is good. We got all kinds of wisdom in service here today. Where are we? Oh, right there. Right. Communication is key. Communication is key. Praise that we got a we got a second over here. Can I get a third? Can I get a communication is key. That's good. Who's next, Tim? Always forgive those that hurt you because you are only allowing them to hurt you and forgiveness will heal you. That's good. Forgiveness is key right there. That's solid. That's good stuff. Where is the mic? Over here. You're not a failure unless you fall and then you don't get back up. And you don't get back up. That's right. That's right. Good. We got hands all over the place. We can go for a couple more. I like this. You guys getting stuff out of this? You should be writing notes. These are pretty cool things right here. Go ahead. Love doesn't just say things, it does things. Love doesn't just say things, it does things. Love is action. It's a verb, right? Okay, over here. Love never dies. Love never dies. That's good. That's solid. Come on, who else has got one? Okay, one more. One more. RJ. So like I said, front row, overachievers. Everybody's got, I've got three. I've got four. That's good. Um, life isn't about weathering the storm. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Oh, that's poetic. That's, that's precious. Thank you for sharing that. That's good, right? Is that, is, sorry, RJ. That's good, man. That's, that's, that's masculine. Okay, here's the reason I do like that one. Here's the reason I, I had that is because, I, you know, we, we grow up with words to live by and words of advice and things that enhance our lives. And my dad taught me a bunch of stuff, you know, growing up and the wisdom I learned from him when, in the ministry when I first became a, a pastor, a preacher, giving God's word. One of the things, I, and I've said it before and I always say it is, he taught me the K-I-S-S principle, keep it simple, stupid, right? And I've learned to live by that because here's the deal. I preach in a way that I would want to hear preached to me. That if there's honestly, truly a God that created this universe and he wants to have a personal relationship with me and he wants to do stuff in my life and give me the best life possible, then you better make it as easy as possible for me to understand how to get that life, right? So I preach in a way that I hope is a way that brings the mystery of the God of ages into real life application so we can go out there and we can live the life that God intended for us to live. So keep it simple, stupid. That's great words of advice for me. My dad taught me this. Don't ever quit a job until you have a new job. How many of you guys would agree that's a good one, right? Because there's times when you're young and you're spontaneous and you're like, oh, I hate working here. This is hot dog on a stick or, you know, no offense in case you work there. They got cool hats and uniforms. But if you're, you know, when you're young and spontaneous, I don't want to be at this job anymore. I'm going to quit. And then my dad's like, oh, really? And what are you going to do for income next week when you've quit your job? 
oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to quit, you know? <laughs> Practical wisdom and advice for our lives, right? He told me stuff about uh, um, dating and marriage, and he goes, make sure you marry for the right reasons, make sure you marry someone that is also your friend, not just your romantic interest, right? And so that's possible. Come on, couples, we know that. Because the romance and the puppy love, it wears off, right? My wife has to wake up next to me every morning with crazy hair, bad breath, and whatever else. And she had to make a choice at some point to go, no, I'm, he's still my friend. I know he's not. I'm very attracted to that right now, but it's okay. But it's a choice you got to make, right? And that was one of the words of advice that, that my dad gave me. So there's lots of words of advice. And here's the reason I'm getting that. I want, I want you to not look at the Ten Commandments as outdated things that are going to steal your freedom, restrict you, and they're all religious and all old and whatever. I want you to understand this, and maybe you can write it in your notes. What they are is actually guidelines, instructions, or house rules of a loving father. Can we show that picture that I have ready to go real quick? Look at this. This is my pride and joy right here, right? Um, this is my kids, my three, and I love them, and this is Kylie, 15, going into 10th grade, Isaac, 12, going into 7th grade, and the little posing model up there, um, our little five-year-old Samantha going into kindergarten, and she is, as my wife calls her, the firecracker of the family. And we thought these two were a handful, and then we waited seven years and had that one, and we just went, oh no, what's going on? Did we actually forget how to parent, or is she just actually wild? And she's just wild. Um, <laughs> any of you guys, your youngest kid is like the wild one? Anybody? Good, that makes me feel okay. Okay, good, we're, we're in this thing together, guys. She is like hilarious and the, the fun never stops with her. She's a handful, but I love these kids. My five-year-old comes in the other day, I'm laying on the bed and for no reason, she comes in, she's got some leggings or pants on her head and she's got her sister's like sports bra or something on and some little weird bathing suit undies or something on. She just goes, hey dad, and she got this all get up, right? And she just starts going. And I'm like, one word, why? <laughs> totally unnecessary, inappropriate. What are you doing? Just go show mom that, right? And mom's getting ready. And, hey, mom, and doing her thing. And it's like there's never a dull moment in her house. But here's the deal. I wanted you to see them because I want you guys to know how much I love my kids and how much I want the absolute best life for them. And I want to be the best dad in the world. And believe me, I got a lot of work to do on that one. I'm trying every day to be better. But I want what's best for my kids. I've been there from day one, literally, when they took their first breaths of air in this world, right? And just being there to see that in itself is an act of sacrifice, right? Have anybody ever seen live childbirth? <laughs> just the fact that I was there at all three of the births of my kids and I watched the whole deal, I'm thankful I didn't eat before I saw that stuff, because that's like alien versus predator stuff right there, right? That's like... <laughs> And I know it's a miracle of God, and I thank God, and literally I cried for everyone, but that's messy, let's be honest. <laughs> and so I was with my kids and my wife for every second of their lives and all the big stuff, and I'm trying to make sure I don't miss the big milestones in their lives, their little graduation ceremonies and, and all the fun stuff, and we make memories together, and I'm just trying to, trying to be the best dad I possibly can because I want them to grow up, and I want them to succeed in life. I want them to go beyond me. I want them to do better than me. We talked about that last week in investing in people. But because of that, because of I want the best for them, I know that, and they know, in my house, there's house rules. There's guidelines, right? That I don't just hope for the best and let them grow up and see what happens. 
but I actually have to like watch their sugar intake, right? Especially the little one. Like, I have to, hey, no, no, you can't have candy for dinner. And, you know, and I have to be careful of how they eat because I care about their health, right? I have to make sure they go to bed at the proper hour. There's stuff that I have to say, like, don't step on the dog. I know you don't like him, but just be nice. He didn't do anything to you, you know? He's part of the family too. I'm learning to love him. You got to, you know? And um, there's just basic stuff, right? There's stuff that they watch and the music they listen to that I want to know. I want to have access to their Facebook and their Instagrams and everything because I care about them, right? There's a, there's a world out there that's trying to corrupt them. And I love them more than this world loves them. So I'm trying to guide them and direct them and take care of them. And there's some certain shows I let them watch or I don't let them watch, right? I walked by the other day and they're watching Netflix and, and it's like zombies biting brains and all this kind of gross stuff, right? And the five-year-old's like right there coloring. And I'm like, what? She's not allowed to watch this kind of stuff. That's bad. In fact, you're too, you shouldn't be watching that. Give me that net Netflix account. I'm changing your password right now. How dare you guys, right? Because I don't want them filling their heads with all kind of rubbish and stupid stuff. Like, I'm their dad. I want them to turn out well. I want them to do better than me. Don't make the mistakes I made. So there's ground rules. And here's what I want you guys to understand about the Ten Commandments as we get into them. Change your thinking. Take away the whole, oh, they're, they're restrictive. They're religious. They're outdated because I have Jesus now. I want you to see them as we have a loving Heavenly Father in heaven who's trying to reach out to us and have relationship with us. And really what he's saying is, you're my kids. I'm your dad. I know better than you, but... Here's what you need to do so that you have the best life possible and we have a great relationship. Is that good? I want you to change your thinking of the Ten Commandments and not, it's not all old and stuffy, but it's actually good stuff. The Ten Commandments themselves are found two times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, they're found in Exodus 20, which we're going to be reading from, the first time God gave them to Moses to give to his people. And then they're found again in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5. Here's what's going on. God is trying to create his people, his nation. At the time, it was just the Israelite people, right? Before Jesus came and made uh, salvation and relationship with God available to all of us. Started off with the Israelites. He had brought them out of the land of Egypt where they were slaves. Moses is in the wilderness taking and leading all of these people to the promised land. And basically, God's trying to reestablish relationship again with his kids. Hey, you guys are my kids. Let me give you some instructions on how to live in my house and how to, how to be a part of this relationship that we have. And so they're in the wilderness and, and Moses is leading all of them. He goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord. And God spoke to Moses and he gave him the Ten Commandments. He write these on tablets of stone. God wrote it. And Moses is coming down. He'd been up on the mountain 40 days seeking God, talking. Meanwhile, all the rest of the people were hanging out. Problem was, when Moses came off the mountain, all ready to reestablish like this awesome relationship with their father God, here's the 10 things that God wants us to focus on. He comes off the mountain. He finds that the people had gotten out of hand. They're like, well, where's Moses? Where's God? If we can't have him, we're going to find him ourselves. Let's create some idols, some golden calves. Let's worship that. Maybe that's how we're going to find God. And Moses comes off the mountain, and he is mad. He is so mad. I can't believe. And there's times that we see in Scripture where Anger is right. It's a righteous anger because what he's mad at is the sin. He's not mad at people. He's mad at the sin that has taken over the camp. And he takes the Ten Commandments, the tablets, and he just smashes them. Ah, oh, I can't believe you guys. You turned your back. I'm, I'm gone for 40 days, and this is what you guys do. It's like when some of us, we leave the house and, you know, go to the store for five minutes. We come back, and the kids have just, you know, messed up the whole house. I'm gone five minutes. Look what you did. Moses is mad. He's going, I went to meet with God. He wants to love you. And, and this is what you, oh, I'm smashing these things. So he scolds the people. 
And he continues to give the law. And the, the Ten Commandments, so you know, they're actually a summary of all of the Mosaic Jewish law, which there's over 600-something um, different commands and laws. So, but to summarize it all that you read in the Old Testament, God goes, it really breaks down to these top 10 things. And these are the things that I want my people to know. If they get this right, everything else will kind of fall into place. And so he gives them the 10 commandments. It's, it's the summary of all of the law, of all of the Old Testament. And here's the thing. He's writing the 10 commandments to God's followers, right? They, he gave them the 10 commandments to his people. They smashed them. Deuteronomy says God had to rewrite them again so that they would have them because they were important to him. That's why it's two places in the Bible. But He's writing this to people that know God and have some type of a relationship with God. That means, literally, if you're here today and you're like, mm, I'm not a Christian, I'm coming to check it out, then seriously, you can just kick back and listen. There's no real obligation on your life today. It's not like anything you have to take to heart today. If you're listening, just listen. Just cruise, you know, let's like sit back and enjoy. You kind of got the day off because these Ten Commandments are written directly to God's followers to call us into the importance of knowing who God is and what life is supposed to look like. Because if our dad loves us, he wants the best life possible. Here he is telling us, broken it down of all these laws into his top 10 list. These are the things that are gonna benefit you. So he's writing to God followers. So if you're not there yet, that's cool. Listen along, cruise, play on your phone, words with friends, I don't know. But you know, just, just hang in there today. But I'm hoping that you would listen a little bit. Because I'm hoping that this would be a step to drive you that much closer to realizing Wow, that, that God in heaven, he, he is real. And he is like a father. And he's got good stuff in store for me. And I'm not there yet, but maybe I want to think about that. Maybe I want to give him control of my life and just see what he could do. do. So we're going to hang in there. But I want you guys to realize, again, it's, it's all about love. The Ten Commandments are the heart of a loving father. Romans 13 even says that love is what summarizes the whole law. And it's the foundation of the law. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four, if you take a look at them, go to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 3. If you look at them, the first four have to do with us loving God, our relationship with God. And then the last six have to do with us loving other people. So the whole law is all summed up, the whole Ten Commandments, in the word love. And I don't want you to miss that. And then here's the cool part. We, God summarized it in Ten Commandments. But Jesus made it even easier for us, even better for us, because he broke all the 10 down into two. Check out what he said in Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Someone came to him and said, hey, teacher, Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, he gave an answer. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second one is equally important. So he goes, here's the top two. And the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Then he makes this statement. This is Jesus, son of God, saying, the entire law, that means all the Ten Commandments and all the Old Testament law, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus comes along, he simplifies it. That we are no longer bound to trying to live by the law for salvation and relationship with God the Father. Now Jesus entered the scene he paid the price for us. He took the law. He fulfilled it himself. And now he says, in order for you to succeed in living out the law and having a relationship with God, you get to know me and you do it through me. It says in Colossians 2.14, the, the King James Version, says what happened with, through Jesus was a blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances, the law, that was against us, which was contrary to us. And Jesus, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. 
that Jesus came along and made things even better. But he didn't throw away the law. What he did was he goes, I fulfilled it, and I'm going to make it easy for you to live by its standards, not through rules and regulations anymore, but through relationship with me. I just made it easier for you guys. In fact, all of the 10 can be summarized in the two, and he taught love God and love other people. So Jesus came, and he brought it easier. But here's the main point of the Ten Commandments, a loving God saying, I want you to have the best life possible. Let me give you some pointers on how to do it. Here's a great metaphor that I got the other day, a great kind of picture, analogy, is that I was driving in the car. My kids are in the back seat, and my daughter, the youngest, Sammy, she's in the middle, right, with a, with a baby seat or whatever you call that thing. What is that thing called? Car seat. The car seat, right? It's weird because I ride in a car seat as well, but mine isn't special, right? This is baby car seat. They should, anyway. Um, she's riding in the car seat, and I'm riding in my car seat, and we're all riding in our car seats. But she's in the back, and she asks us this nowadays because she's in, she's preschool going into kindergarten. She's learning about numbers and letters and shapes. And so not every street sign that we drive by, she wants to know the meaning of every street sign. Dad, Dad, red, quick, what does that one mean? What does that mean? I'm like, what, what, what? I'm like almost getting an accident. Which one? Right? And she's making us describe to her the one that has this on it, the arrow that goes like this. And so we have to take the time to describe every street sign, right? She's learning the sign. So let me give you an example. Like she sees the one with the P, you know, and then the like the red arrow thing. And I'm thinking, oh, no parking. So what does that one mean? And like the kids, the older kids want to make jokes and play tricks, right? So they're like, oh, that P that says that right there, the line through it. Sam, you can't use the potty over there. You cannot, no pee, you can't use the potty over there, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, cracking up. My kids are making jokes, right? What is the 35 the other day we're riding? And now they're getting a kick out of like saying all the fake and they're totally confusing her, right? Three, five, what is that, dad? Quick, what is that? What does three, five, 35 mean? And I'm thinking, oh, easy, 35 miles per hour. And the kids are like, Kylie or something. Sam, you gotta be 35 years old before you can drive on that road. You have 30 more years to wait before you can drive on that road, right? And she's just totally screwing up her whole, like, what? You know? But here's the thing. She asked me, why do we have all the rolled rules? Any why do we have those signs anyway, Dad? Why do we have this? And I said, well, here's a, here's a good deal. Let me explain to you. The reason you have signs and you have lines in the road and you have uh, uh, flashing lights and all of that is because if we didn't have that stuff and everyone was driving on the roads at their own laws and their own decisions... We, it would be chaos, wouldn't it be? Think about it. And then you know how I know it to be true? Is because, I don't know about today, the rain, but sometimes when the storms hit and stuff like that, and the lights go, do go down in Kanyoi, like, and it's a busy intersection, and you know what happens? That you just got that yellow blinking light. Everybody freaks out, and nobody knows what to do, right? Everyone's like, oh, and all the, all the kind of like gracious, nice people, they're like, oh, I'll just yield to them and slow, and I'll let them go. Oh, I better let them go too. I better let them, and people are in the back honking, right? Go, and you're like, right? And then you got the other guys, like some of you guys that you don't even care. You're just like, I'm going there. I don't even care. I don't know what that yellow light means. I'm going, right? And you're cutting people off. And it's like, we got chaos because nobody knows what's going on. Have you ever seen a slow motion traffic accident? That's what happens when like the lights blink. Because everyone's like, oh, I don't know. Oh, no. Right? And they're only going like two miles an hour, but they bang into each other because Nobody knows what to do when you take away all the laws and the, the guidelines. Here's the Ten Commandments in a nutshell. Your life is going to be like that, confusing, messed up. You might just squeak by without anything bad happening, but chances are you're probably going to crash into somebody or make someone else mad unless you listen to the guidelines that I'm trying to help you out with because I love you. 
I'm your dad and I want what's best for you guys. So here's these 10 commandments. Isn't that good? When you look at it in that perspective, just nod your head and tell me, yes, Carl, that's so good. Good. Now I'm excited to go into the 10 commandments. Here's the first one. First one, first on the list, because it is obviously the most important. Here's the deal, guys. If you don't get the first one right, none of the other nine work. If you do not understand the value and the priority of the very first commandment, the rest of the nine have no place in your life. They don't really work at all. And what does the first one talk about? Well, look at what the first one says. It's in Exodus 20, verse three, plain and simple. You must not have any other God but me. When we can understand that, when we sing the words of that song, I surrender, I surrender, <laughs> that's how you gain everything. In God's theology and his philosophy, you gain by losing. The, the sooner you are able to lose everything and control of your own life and surrender it and realize it's only you, God, that's the sooner that God gives everything back to you, but blessed and new and improved in your life. You guys get that? If you get the first one right, everything else gets better. If I can learn to let go of my control and my decisions and my, uh, and I can say, no God, no other gods, no other distractions, I gotta do things your way. When I do things his way, he gives me back a better, improved life because his standards, his love, his power for me is better than anything else in this world. And I got to get this first one right. So what he's saying here is, you must not have any other God but me. And the first question that I would ask when I'm reading these things is, how can anybody ask that? How have they earned it? How do they deserve that? And that's, I think, a valid question to ask God. God, have you earned it? You know what? If you want me to do that, then you got to prove it to me. And I'm sure that the the Israelites were probably kind of asking that question too. That's why the verse right before this, when God tells them to do this, he explains himself. He says this, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. He's basically qualifying himself. And, and we read in the English, I am the Lord your God. But really, in the original language, the original language that was used here, the Hebrew, it's words like this that describe I am the Lord your God, Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai, Elohim. You know what this is basically saying is, I am the one and only divine being above and over everything else in this universe. And we just read it, I'm the Lord your God. Oh, that's cool. But to them, the words and the symbolism and the, 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 the word picture they knew was, whoa, he's saying he's the only greatest, bigger, better than everything. What God is trying to tell his people, the Israelites at this point is he's saying, I alone am the creator, provider, sustainer, and ruler of this entire universe, and I wanna be that to you in your lives. He's saying, I've got all power, I am everything, I'm the biggest. He's not saying, I'm a pretty good guy like a bunch of other guys. I'm a good God like those other gods. He's saying, I'm above and beyond everything. And it has to do, again, if you look at this in terms of a father, that he's, he's calling himself a father. Several hundred times throughout the Old Testament to New Testament, more heavy in the New Testament, the word father is used to describe God. I'm the one that created you. I'm your father. I love you. I want relationship with you. You're my kids. And if we look at it in those terms, what we understand, what he's asking us here is he's saying, um, I want you to recognize that there's only one dad. I want you to have only one dad. Because in a perfect household, the way that God calls us to try to shoot for our goals is the father is the boss. And not because he's going to lord it over his wife and his kids. But God says, you have the heavy responsibility of providing and caring for and nurturing all of the people that live in your house. It's all on you. And you gotta be first and foremost willing to die for your wife or your kids if 
the, the need would bring itself up. In fact, we die a little bit every day to sacrifice for them in a good way. But God's putting that upon us. And so he, when he puts himself in those terms, it's basically saying the father is the head of the household. And he goes, I want you to know there's no one else above me. Don't argue with me. Don't look for anything else. I, I don't want my kids having any other dads, any other dad influence. Does that make sense? It said, I let the I let their uncles speak to them and you can learn some stuff. But when it comes to the absolutes, the power, the, the, the morals and the values and the, the belief system, is that's reserved for me because I'm their dad. I love them more than anybody else could. They live in my house. They play by my rules. I care for them. Other people will love them in the good times, but I love them in the hard times when they're hard to love. I love them in the, in the, the ugliness of life and I'm there for them. That's my responsibility. Now, again, I'm not the perfect dad, but our heavenly father is the perfect dad. And he's promising, if you put me first, everything else is going to work. But then he says this. Look at verse 2. I'm the Lord your God, the ultimate, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. God just earned it for these Israelites he's talking to. Moses coming off the mountain, talking to the Israelites. And he says, God has earned first place because he just delivered you from Egypt. What does that mean? God earned it. When he's asking you to say, put him first, he just earned it. How did he just earn it? Well, for 400 years, the Israelite nation, as it grew, was in slavery in Egypt. And they were looked down upon and they were oppressed. God told Moses, hey, let's go and take the people out. I'm going to take them to the promised land. Now, here's the, the order of events that happened. He goes and asks Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you need to let our people go. God wants us to go and be our own nation. Pharaoh said no. So God sent plagues. He sent 10 plagues. Do you remember this in reading? Go back and read the story. God tried to convince Pharaoh, his hard heart, Every time that Pharaoh said, um, okay, fine, I'll let you go. Then he goes, no, I'm not. I'm not going to let you go. Then Moses goes, all right, I'm praying to God. God loves his kids. He's going to do something. Watch out. Here comes a plague of flies. Bzzz, all over, right? And the, and the Egyptians are like, oh, sick. Get them out of here. All right, just go. Take your people out of here. And so they're all good. Flies go away. And then Pharaoh goes, no, just kidding. I hate you guys. Stay under here. You're my slaves, right? Then Moses goes, I'm telling you, this God, he's our father. He's going to fight for us. So you're not going to let us go again? Guess what you get? Plague of frogs. I hope you're happy, right? And then he gets a fl the frogs. And then, and then Pharaoh goes, okay, let him go. And it goes back and forth, right? No, I'm not going to let him go. Okay, all your water's going to get turned to blood. Oh, it's disgusting. Okay, I'll let you go. And it took 10 times. You guys remember this story? This is God going, have I not proven myself to you? Did you not get set free from e Egypt by supernatural, miraculous circumstances? Okay, okay, if you, that, that doesn't convince you, what about this? You're on the run and you're going to, to be your own people and nation. And then the Egyptians decided to chase you down. And then all you ran, ran, ran until you got to the edge of the Red Sea, nowhere else to go. And then remember what I did there, people? Come on, you're my friend. You're my kids, right? God explaining. Because remember how I just parted that whole Red Sea for you to walk through and dry ground, right? And they're going, oh yeah, that was kind of cool. Never seen that one before. They all got safely across the other side. The, the enemy came marching in after them. God closed up the water, wiped all of them out. Then they're complaining in the wilderness a little bit more. This is all happening within weeks, within days of time. I'm out there in the wilderness now. I'm mad because the only water we have to drink is bitter, sour water. So Moses throws a branch in the water and suddenly the water's instantly clean and drinkable. And they're like, hey, that's a cool trick. Give me a drink, right? And then they're hungry. This is all a chain of events. We're hungry. We have no food. They see this cloud coming in, right? And when the cloud turned out to be a bunch of quail that God sent so they could grab them and they could cook them and eat them. And then he goes, oh, you guys are still hungry. I need to provide for you. Okay, how about if I just said food, manna from heaven that falls on the ground every night. You pick it up in the morning and you can eat it. It's like, like bread or something like that, crackers. And all of these miraculous things. And then the Amalekites come to fight him and they're going to kill him. And Moses goes, as long as they hold up the staff of God, we win. 
His arm gets tired, it goes down, they start losing. Some guys come along, Aaron and her, hold his arms up. They defeat the army and they're going, that's pretty cool, that's cool. How did that happen, you know, right? And then they're, they're begging and they're in the desert. Oh, we have no water, we're gonna die. And Moses takes a staff, whack, hits a rock. Suddenly they have all of this fresh water for all of them to drink. Check this out. From the time they left Egypt to this time of the 10 commandments and God's going, let me be your one and only God, I've proved it to you. It's only been seven weeks. It's been seven weeks when all of that stuff happened at this stage of the journey. They still had 40 years to go, right? We know that. But it's only been seven weeks when all this stuff happened. It's fresh in their minds that their God is a real, powerful God. They've just experienced it with their own eyes. So when God is saying, hey, can I have first place in your life above everything else? And they're going, oh, let me think about it. And he goes, haven't I already done all this and proved it to you? Oh, you're right. Okay, God, we're going to put you first. How does that apply to us? Because we're not in the Old Testament Bible days. We're here today. Well, here's a question. How has God proven his worth to you that you would give him all of your love, trust, and devotion? Now, when you think about that, because I believe that you are probably like me in the fact that you're a Christian, not because of someone preaching good sermons to you. You're a Christian, not because you read the words of the Bible. You're a Christian, and what keeps you coming back to God is that you've had a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of a God in your life to experience life change, to witness healing, to see miracles, to know that your prayers are answered, to find peace in the midst of chaos. God doesn't take the chaos away every time, but suddenly he gives you peace and you're feeling good walking through life and the problems are still there. That's crazy, that's miraculous. That he's done these kind of things. And I believe that maybe you come to church for a while just hearing good messages and maybe reading the Bible and that's good. But you don't become a Christian based on the reputation of God. You become a Christian because God has earned it in your life. How many of you guys would say amen to that? Because if you're just coming to church based on hearsay, you know what that is? That's just religion. Sorry, but that's just dead religion. You're just learning about something. But when you come and you keep coming back to God, like me, I say, I'm a Christian because I tried it and it works in my life. I have personal experiences. I have testimonies and stories to tell that God is constantly meeting with me and doing things in my life. That's why I hold on to God. If I was here just preaching about religion and all that, I... I honestly wouldn't have that job. I wouldn't want that job. I don't want to have a job where I'm just spreading good words. I want you to know that the reason I do what I do is because I believe this stuff actually works. You guys understand that? Is that God is saying, hey, I want you to be first in your life because I've proven it to you. And I want you to think of the ways that God's changed your life or the lives of people around you and the answered prayers and the healings and the, the miracles and the stuff that you just know you're changed because you've interacted in a relationship with a mighty living God. Amen? And so this is what he's saying. He goes, look, I proved it to those guys back then, and I've proved it to you here today. God earns my devotion. He's proven he's a good, loving father. And what do loving fathers do? They protect their kids. They provide for their kids. They push and challenge their kids when it's necessary. They pick their kids up when their kids are hurting and, and weak, and they comfort them. Just like any earthly father, our heavenly father, he's proven that to me. And I hope he's proven that to you. So to reiterate today, again, he's talking to his followers. Remember to keep me first and foremost, you're all in all, because I'm a good dad, aren't I? I've, I've blessed you, I've proven it to you. And I like this in the next verse, in verse three, where he actually puts it on us. You must not have any other God but me. This is cool when you actually study the language and the words of the Bible. Because the word that he uses, you, here, there's a big deal about this. You should maybe take a note on this. This is, this is very impactful and meaningful. When he says, you must not have any other gods, the word you 
is not an all comprehensive plural word. The word you he's saying here, it's used in the singular. So what he's actually saying isn't this. Hey, all of you Christians and my followers and my kids don't have any other gods. He's not saying that. What he's specifically saying is, when I read this, it's singular. He goes, hey, you, reader, you, Carl Moore, I'm your God. Don't mess around with anybody else. Do you guys get the difference there? It's not like I'm talking to the masses. He's like, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I want to be your personal God, your personal relationship. It's me and you here. This is all that matters. And I am personally asking you, my son or my daughter, Let's have the best relationship possible. Don't go looking for advice or values or belief systems or morals from any other source. Let me be your one and only father who loves you. Isn't that cool? And we would gloss right over that if we didn't know that, if we didn't really look in the scripture. And I love that. They understood it back then, but we kind of translate it to just English and we would kind of miss all that. What he's saying is this, this personal relationship thing. I don't have to go to church to meet with my God. I don't have to go to religious settings to meet with my God. What he's saying is, for me, and this is what I know, I can meet with Jesus and I can meet with my God at any given moment of any given day because it's a personal relationship. Is that good? Now, I want you to go to church. God says go to church, join the fellowship of the body, get equipped, get prepared. All that's good. But he's basically saying, you can meet with me whenever you want. That's a big deal, right? How many of you guys have ever gotten like a backstage pass to meet with the band like personally, you know, not just in the crowd? Anybody ever had a backstage pass? How about this? Anybody in here ever got the chance to personally meet a celebrity? Anybody? Who's had a chance to meet a celebrity? I want to hear some of your celebrities. Edna, what, who did you meet? Uh, I got to meet... You forgot. I got to meet Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin? Wow. Vicky Winans, Aretha Franklin. Those are awesome. We'll stop at those because there's other people that want to tag. That's, that's more than I've ever met. Wow, I feel bummed. Um, Tad, who did you meet? Beers with Bono. What? Where? In Minneapolis. What? Bono of you two. You hung out and had beers with him. That's amazing. I'm, that's incredible right there. Someone else? Lou Holmes. Lou Holmes? Lou Holmes? Who's Lou Holmes for me? Sorry. Come on, some of you guys are thinking it too. I know the name, but come on. He coached Notre Dame. Okay, see, I'm not a sports guy. Sorry, sue me. I surf. I don't know sports, but thank you for that. I mean, that's important to you. I don't know who that is, but some of you guys, how many of you guys are stoked on what he just said right there? Lou Holmes, come on. Okay, see, that's important. That's celebrity status. Someone else in the back. I saw that one over there. Jazzy Jeff, as in Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff. That's cool. I love that show. No, here's a little story. No, I'm not going to go there. Who'd you meet? Kelly Slater. Yeah, Kelly Slater. You guys are like, I don't even know. 11 times world champion surfer. Not a big deal. From the king of Thailand? Wow, that's huge. That's big. Come on, some, someone else. I want to hear some other names right here. For who? Brian Headwelch from, from Corn, from the band Corn. Is that, is that what you're saying? Awesome. Lead guitarist from Corn. Anybody Corn fans in the house? Yeah. A few of you guys. That's cool. I appreciate it. RJ. Jack Johnson. We love Jack, don't we? He's from Hawaii. We love Jack Johnson. Magic Johnson. Jack, Magic. Who else? Any other Johnsons? 
Woody Harrelson and Bill Murray. That is cool, right? That's cool. Working in Reno. That's awesome. Someone else. Michael Jordan. Ooh, that's a great one too right there. Oh, I've got a little hand right here. Who'd you get to meet? Big Time Rush, the band. That's cool. That's, I'm, my daughter is aware of them. I'm just kind of, yeah, okay, good. Someone else. Chuck Norris. Okay, we win. We have a winner. We have a winner. <laughs> Chuck Norris. That would be my dream too. Here's the reason I say that. Someone, you know what we had in two services? I don't know if anybody else has, but in two previous services, there's a couple people that actually got to meet Elvis face to face. Anybody in the room ever met Elvis? I don't know. There's a couple services. You did? Your mom did. See, there's a couple people that said, oh yeah, I got to meet Elvis. That's awesome. Don't you think so? The king of rock and roll. I'm the king, right? There, you know, here's one of my favorite quotes from Elvis Presley. This is, this is cool. Somebody asked him one time, um, Elvis, you know, what do you think about the term they've given you, the king of rock and roll? And this is what Elvis said. King, I'm not the king. Jesus Christ is the king. I'm just a singer. How good is that? Yeah? A little. <laughs> Isn't that a good quote from Elvis? But let me tell you something. Here's what I'm talking about right now. Jesus Christ is better than all of those people combined. And guess what? You can meet with him at any given moment because he gives us access to him personally. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to go do anything. Jesus is our personal God. And God is saying, this is why I want you to obey me because it's you personally I'm talking to. We got a personal relationship here. I'm, I'm, your, I'm your father. I love you. You have direct access to me through my son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, you can come to me anytime. Would you just be devoted to me alone? Because that's how much I love you. That's what I've done for you. Come to me at any time. It's a personal thing. And even Jesus taught us the importance of this. Like I said, it's not just Old Testament. Here's Jesus in Matthew 4.10. You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then he goes a step further in Matthew 6.33. And he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. You know what Jesus is saying here? If God is first in your life, everything else gets better. If God is first in your life, then everything else gets better. Plain and simple. Seek first his kingdom, and then you get everything else. Everything else will be added unto you. That says this to me. Carl, your relationships, your finances, your hobbies, your fears, your frustrations, you can go ahead and deal with those as you see fit and work on them yourself and see where that gets you. Or you can put them under my control and under my wisdom, and under my power, and under my love, surrender them all to me, and I can give them back to you a hundred, a million times better than what you were going to do for yourself. If I can put God as the first place, and God is not, it's not technically right. God is not first place in my life. It's not like God on my priority list. It's God, family, friends, blah, 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 blah. The reality of it is God is the list upon which we write all the other priorities of our life. And that's what Jesus himself is saying. Hey, you know what? These 10 commandments are not outdated. Let me rephrase it and reiterate it to you. Put God first and he'll give you everything else, but he'll give it to you new and improved and way better than you could have done for yourself. Is that good? That's encouraging to me that, man, these 10 commandments are actually good. It's not just old stuff that, that God knows best. And so I'm going to run my life through him. But then you got to ask yourself the question right here. What are the other gods that he's talking about? He says, you must follow me and obey me and worship me above all other gods. Well, what are other gods? And it's pretty plain to see back in the day that the context of which it was given is that God was talking to the Israelites who had just come out of Egypt where 
their belief system was based on a whole bunch of different gods. And so God is saying, you know what? You're coming out of there. I want to be your God now. And here's, here's the problem that they were thinking is this. Oh, we have all these different gods and God Jehovah over here. You he want to be your God? Awesome. Let's add him to the mix. Now we got even one more God, a pretty strong one. And the, the fear and the problem that God was up against was, no, I don't want you to add me to the mix of where you're getting your values and your power and your source of wisdom and love. I don't want you to be added along with all of that. I want to be above everything else. I don't want any competition. Again, I'm your father. Other people can speak into your life, but here's the deal. He's telling them, if you start picking different religious beliefs and different systems of faith and values and ethics and morals and where they come from, at some point, there's going to be some conflict and some tension and they're going to contradict each other. Wouldn't you guys agree? Because there's people I know that are Christians that are like, you know, everything that's positive and good is, is good. I love Jesus. I go to church every week, but Buddha said a couple pretty cool things. So I take a little of that and I bring that into my philosophy. And then Muhammad's not that bad of a guy. There's a couple good things Muhammad said. And then, you know, then there's Oprah, who Oprah, she, I mean, she's like, she says all that, right? We like, and, and here's the problem with that line of thinking. At some point, there's going to be contradiction. There's going to be conflict. And God is saying, you have to choose one. At some point, you got to choose one. Well, who created the universe? Oprah? No, shucks. You know, who created every, who, who sent his son to die on the cross to prove how much he loves you? Oh, that would be me, right? And God's going, do you see how you only have room for one? And a lot of times we, we do this and, and we don't think we do, but we're getting our source of, of, of ethics, of beliefs, of morals and faith from various places. And we're just like the, the Israelites. We're mixing God into the mix where he's only reserved place for one father, one dad in the household. And we go, oh, I read the Bible. It was so good. It kind of lines up with what my fortune cookie said. So good. And then I read my horoscope. And you know what? Because I'm a Cancer or a Libra or whatever it is, I'm totally like this. This is good. And then we do our psychics and our palm readers and our Ouija boards and our tarot cards. And what we're doing is we're looking for other sources of power that is reserved for our God alone. Here's the problem. There's two sources of power in this universe. There's the power of God and the power of Satan, of the enemy, of the devil. There's only two places where power comes from. The problem isn't don't settle for the imposters because they have no power. The problem is that stuff actually has power, but it's not leading to the very absolute best things in your life. It's a cheap imitation. And so when we line stuff up with God, I don't want to settle for the imitation. I want to go to God alone. Amen? I don't, I don't need that other stuff telling me everything else. So I need to kind of get that stuff out of the way. It's just, it's just going to confuse me. And God is going, I want to have that place reserved for me and me alone. And how many of us, we, we fall prey to that whole imposter thing. We start, and it may not even be other religions, okay? It may be just this. The biggest God that's in competition with the one true God is actually ourselves. Because when we start playing God and start picking our own philosophy and theology, and we mix in a little Buddha with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of the best-selling book that's on the market today and then the best horoscope that I read the other day and all of that, you know what we're doing? We become God because we're making up our own system of beliefs and it's all about us. And I got to tell you, none of us are smart enough to make up our own religious system. If I didn't create the world, I don't know all there is to know about life itself. I see life in the day-to-day, -day, my glimpse of my worldview, and it's so limited. When God the Father goes, Carl, all you're seeing is one frame at a time, I've seen the whole movie. I wrote the whole movie. 
And how many frames of pictures go into that, that film on that movie? God's going, I saw back in the beginning the creation of it. I saw you before you were born. I see how this all plays out. You're looking at one little glimpse right now, one frame. I've seen the whole movie. I'm omniscient. I'm all-knowing. Would you just let me be your dad? I'm bigger. I'm smarter. I'm better. I'm giving you these guidelines because I want the absolute best for your life. Don't let there be any cheap imposters. Anybody ever fallen prey to um, cheap imitations out there? Anybody? Let me tell you what I mean. Sometimes you buy a product. Can you show the pictures up here? You buy a product and it's just not the real deal. This is a product. You're going for Gucci, but you can't afford it, so you buy Gucci, right? And it just, it falls apart on you. Or the next one, you know, cheap imitation. Go to the next uh, picture. You guys know what this one is, right? It's almost Nike. It was like 80% cheaper, but all you're getting is hikey, and your swoosh has a little bit of a swing in the middle of it, and it doesn't work as well. Go to the next one. Cheap imitations here, guys. You know Sony is the best when it comes to audio and earbuds, but you settle for the Sonya because it's on sale, and there's a picture of her right there, right? The Sonyas, and they break the first day, and you're just bummed. Cheap imitations, right? Go to the next one. I don't know about you, but I don't want to eat at KFG if it's not even chicken and it doesn't look like anybody's lining up to get into that place. So what is the next one? This one's good, the next one. King Burger, it's close, but it's not quite the real deal, right? Go to the next one. This one's good. Lubway. <laughs> Let's go have a six inch uh, lub from Lubway tonight. Um, go to the last one, the last one's the best. You guys don't want to settle for this one. Buckstar Coffee. Come on. If it's not Starbucks, you don't want that grande latte. You're not going to even go into Buckstar Coffee. But here's the point I'm trying to make. God is the real deal. There's only one of him. He's the one that created everything. He's coming at it from the angle of, I'm your father. I love you. I want to give you the best possible life ever. Why would you fool around with cheap imitations? Why would you give in to anything and, and whatever that tries to compete with me? I'm the real deal. Go to me. You can trust me. Because not only can you trust me, I will prove it to you in your life. I have all power, all love, all ability to give you the best life possible. So stick to me. Is that good? Because if we don't get that first one right, all the other nine, they don't even work. They all fall apart. If we don't understand, God, it's all about you. It's all from you. It's not my will. I'm not going to become my own God and decide my own decisions. I'm going to run my life this way because I feel like it. God's going, you know what? Whose way is best? Who, who bought you back from sin? Who loves you intimately? Who's there to meet with you whenever you need it? Oh, that's you. Okay, give me your life back. Come on, knock it off. Stop that. Let me have control. Isn't that good? He loves us so much. Let's pray right now and let you guys get on with your day. God, we love you and we thank you for your word that speaks to us. And Lord, we thank you for the Ten Commandments. Lord, it's not just a bunch of rules and restrictions that are gonna take away our freedom, God, but it's actually something that's gonna enhance our life. It's actually giving us guidelines to protect us so our life doesn't become chaotic and we don't make all decisions based on our own limited wisdom and ability. Lord, I know that when, when the, the day is done and I look at myself, Lord, I am not smart enough to make all these decisions. And the times that I do, Lord, it's, it's, it's luck, if anything, if I pull something off. But Lord, I don't wanna rely on luck. I wanna rely on your power and your love and your wisdom and your grace for my life. So Lord, in this, of the 10 commandments, this first one, Lord, it's a reminder for us, your followers, that you are the real deal, that you are good, that you've proven yourself to us. We don't come here because of, of your reputation or things that we hear about you. We come to church and we live the Christian life because we know you, because you've proven yourself to us, because we've lived in your grace and your power and your love. And so, Lord, because of that, we can trust you. We can put you 
not first, but Lord, make you the foundation for which all else is the priorities in our life. So Lord, remind us, strengthen our resolve to do this, to keep you as number one, as everything in our life. Our foundation, our values, our beliefs, our morals, and our faith come from you, the God of creation alone.